1: Hello and welcome back to the Prep to Pro NBA Draft Podcast. My name is Ben Pfeiffer and as always, I'm joined by my co-host Max Carlin. Max, how's it going today? I'm doing all right, Ben. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. And again, um, we have PD Webb back on the show. You guys absolutely loved the last series of episodes we did with him. Some of our most popular episodes yet. So we're really happy that we convinced him to come back and join us today. So PD, how's it going?
2: It's going well. Thank you guys for having me. Um, I I believe I'm the first time returning champion. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yes, you are. Yes,
1: yes, Yes, you are, actually. So hopefully that. Yeah, so today we are going to talk about what are we going to talk about today, Max? I'd like to take a second to shout out the network that helps distribute our show, Armchair Media. Armchair is a collection of 50-plus podcasts, including ours, trying to localize the sports world a little bit more. We've, we've been with them since March and have enjoyed growing our audience with theirs. Starting June 1st, Bet Online will serve as a title sponsor for Armchair as well as our show. This will open up the possibility to develop merchandise lines as well as potentially host live events once we, once we return to a semblance of normalcy. In addition to Bet Online coming aboard, Armchair will now serve as the host network for the world's lar- largest skateboarding podcast, The Nine Club. Hosted by professional skaters Chris Roberts and Kelly Hart, The Nine Club talks every week with the biggest names in skating. They're on social media at The Nine Club. To see more, search Armchair Media wherever you get your pods. Also, check us out on Armchair's website, armchairmedianetwork.com, and their socials at Armchair Media. Armchair Media, those who can, do. Those who don't, can't. Take a seat
0: we are going to talk about um who are the winners and losers of where their uh stock is at currently um from a projection and development standpoint because i mean something we've talked about a lot with this draft is how dependent um i think a lot of these guys outcomes will be on factors that really are like not intrinsic to them uh and how context will matter so much and i think even at the very top of the draft there are a lot of guys who who are very dependent on on um, sort of how they're used it's, it's something we definitely touched on with those misutilization episodes. But um, this week, I think we're we're just gonna we're gonna focus on on the guys who are really I think most affected by uh by by um their current stock.
1: All right, so should we get started?
0: Yeah, let's let's get started with um uh, let's start at the top of the draft with with a winner in my eyes uh, in Isaac Okoro. Um, so the Auburn wing comes into the year not as as a highly acclaimed guy in the mainstream you know i think uh if he if he was in draft express's like uh, initial mock at all it would have been in the thirties or forties however, among draft twitter a pretty close to consensus top ten guy i think uh top five even for many um and since of course has had a meteoric rise into the consensus top five or so uh i believe he's fourth right now for for um the espn board um and i think that he's a major winner of this because i mean isaac okoro is a a non-shooting wing he's a, a 6-6 player you know who who probably lacks the most important uh trade for a perimeter player but you know, if if he were still considered, you know, a late first, this is a guy who maybe comes in and is stuck in the corner to shoot spot ups, or stuck in the wing to shoot spot ups, and I think would be very likely to be a really, really disastrous offensive player. But if you're investing a top five pick in Isaac Okoro, I think you're you're probably in tune to what he to the accommodations that he needs to be a successful offensive player, and I just think like watching him recently it's particularly apparent that like this is a guy who's a really good slasher like he's made re- huge strides um as a handler since his time at uh at McKiechurn and um like he really he can change direction he's got some deception like he's of course he, he like he doesn't have the most shake or anything uh definitely gotten better since high school in that in that respect but like he, he's a guy who who can, can beat guys with his handle a bit and has of course the strength and explosion to beat guys and then to, to finish at the rim um so just I think Okoro is, is a guy who who has the skills to be playing on the ball and because of the way his stock has taken off I think he'll actually be used that way
1: yeah and that point is important for it's important for his wing passing too because Okoro really is one of like the best wing passers in this class if not the best but sticking him in the corner like let I mean like we said and if he doesn't have um, the requisite shooting gravity to, to draw help early, he's not gonna be able to make any use of the passing. But, but I mean, like we said, if we can get, if a smart team like who invests in him is willing to scheme for him and get him going downhill and create advantages for him, then he can easily take advantage of, of help defenses and make passes, make skip passes to the weak side, uh, make interior passes. So yeah, I mean, smart scheming is gonna be important for to maximize a core, but there's, I mean, in, in his range, I mean, you hope there's a team that is going to be willing to do that for him.
2: I think with a Crow, um, there is more room for him to not shoot in his projection and still be successful than a lot of other people because he is a free throw rate right tank. And if teams go under on every coverage with him, he can eat that space up and still finish at the rim. Um, you know, there's a lot of tape of him at Auburn just taking two or three bodies in midair and still finishing and while he's not Giannis size he's still a huge body with wide shoulders that can put one of those shoulders in your chest and finish at the rim and he doesn't need to be an amazing shooter but the threat of shooting is going to open up even a little bit of that uh free throw value
0: yeah I mean he's kind of like the inverse of Grant Williams to me uh, in terms of stock, and it's something that that I you know definitely should have accounted for more with Grant. That like Grant comes in as the 22nd pick, and the Celtics kind of view him as uh as a guy that that you know needs to fit into a role that shouldn't have offense schemed for him. So he's turned into primarily a spot up shooter, and then like occasionally a role man as well. And he's struggling in that role, obviously offensively, because he's not that level of spot up shooter yet. But on the the mini tiny sample of post possessions that Grant has had this year I think he's still a 99th percentile post player after being a 96th percentile post post player on enormous volume as a junior so like I think Grant actually is a guy who who has the ability to to you know be efficient in the post to be efficient on and uh, face up situations as well but he didn't have the stock to justify that sort of investment. Like, why would we be scheming plays for Grant Williams, this 22nd pick? Um, but in in reality, you know, if, if he had gone in, in the top 10, you'd probably see uh, a team catering to him like that. And, he and, you know, he would, I think, look uh, definitely different in terms of his current impact and his projection going forward. So I think that there are, like, pretty concrete examples of situations where you have a guy who's who's kind of weird, but is capable of, of creation that he wouldn't otherwise get the opportunity for if if he weren't uh, regarded so highly. Yeah. Um, do you think we should move on to Cole Anthony, or do you guys have anything else to
2: add on Okoro? I think that's good on Okoro. Um, I'm sure we're going to get um, deep into some of these other guys, and we've talked a little bit about Okoro previously. Yeah. So
0: Cole, uh, is, is definitely, uh, opposite situation to a came into the year, highly acclaimed, um, a little less so in the mainstream, but was still considered, I think, pretty, pretty close to consensus, a top five guy, uh, among draft Twitter, I would say consensus top two with probably the majority having Cole as the number one guy in the class, uh, which I think was, was fair at the time. He was, he was a, a dominant, uh, A dominant EYBL player um but now Cole after a pretty nightmarish season at UNC is like a late lottery type um and I think that that's actually good for him uh because I think it's pretty evident he doesn't have the burst to really be creating separation consistently doesn't have the handle for that um he's not the you know caliber of decision maker you want from a primary initiator and he, he never has been um But I think that Cole is in a situation now where he is not going to be thrust into, you know, playing on the ball 28% of the time and and, um, really initiating offense all the time. And I think he'll get, you know, even just going later in the draft is more likely to be to end up next to someone else who can who can create. And I think that will be really good to take some of the burden off of him.
1: Yeah i'm interested to see how cole ends up functioning i mean if he does in an off-ball role because like you said i mean it's it's seeming like more and more he's the chances improve that he's going to land with on a team that has somebody so let's say he lands in a situation like new orleans i mean he's going to have a chance to to play fast to play in transition play off the ball and just shoot i mean and for all cole anthony's faults i mean it seems like he's going to be a very very high level shooter already a really accomplished pull-up shooter i mean just based on results in his college sample and the indicators that that show that. So, I mean, if an off-ball, like like if a team can get him off-ball, and I mean, similar to Okoro and kind of create advantages for him where he doesn't have to use that burst to create his own advantages when that's just not a thing he's really been able to do consistently that that can be a big way because he has the shooting too he has the shooting gravity or he should have the shooting gravity to command his own attention off the ball especially and it's just when he has those advantages created for him it just further simplifies his his level of decisions and the space he has to to drive into
0: yeah I mean Petey you're a guy who is who's entrenched in uh in youth ball so what do you make of the the disconnect between the dominant player that Cole was um, in AAU and or, I mean, it really at all lower levels and the guy that he was for uh, for a year at UNC, like how much do you think that being older and more physically developed uh, led to his dominance at that level? Uh, how much do you think this UNC year is an outlier? So like, where are you placing the the, the stock um you know, in your, in your evaluation of Cole Anthony?
2: So I was a person who did not like Cole Anthony in the top two uh,
0: ah. coming
2: into this year. Um, I fall into a weird camp where I buy all of the shooting that happened at, uh, in high school in AAU. But I also don't think that the athleticism will translate. I think that the knee injury at UNC, along with the spacing conditions, um, really muted his stock as much as possible. And that's probably going to be the best for him. Um, I really would have looked at him as a second contract guy. Um, if he had gone in the top five of this draft, or may go in the top five of this draft, because I have in in the, the background research three dunks all year for him. Is that what you guys have as well?
0: Um, I have not. I'll check Bart. Um,
1: yeah, got it. Yeah, three dunks.
2: Okay. Uh, he was like a five six dunk and a good game guy in high school. And yeah. Yeah, he was really explosive. Um, I think that a lot of that is the meniscus injury. Um, he's not going to be somebody who explodes through NBA talent, but I think there's a median point between what we saw at, um, in in UYBL and an Oak Hill, and the like shell himself at UNC. Um, to pair him with uh, a primary wing was like the ideal situation, and falling into the eighth, ninth, tenth round or eighth, ninth, tenth pick range increases the likelihood that he will not have the extreme creation burden that was expected of him. Um, that being said, he's still digging into the stats, shot pretty well at North Carolina, not historically well like he did at youth levels. But he was shooting you know, um, good numbers. He had shot 53%, 53% at the rim, um, only 8% of which were assisted. Uh, he was 51% assisted from three. Uh, compare that to somebody like Peyton Pritchard who is sixty-three percent assisted from three. And we think of Peyton Pritchard as this like self-creation, uh, old man game, fry everybody off the bounce kind of guy. So I think that this is about as perfect storm as you could ask for to tank a prospect's value as a primary initiator, but it's probably a good year in that he's more mentally and approach-based ready to contribute as a off-ball secondary.
1: Again, he made 45 long twos, again, on only around 4% assisted. So, I mean, he really did not have any help in in creating advantages for him at UNC and with with the spacing. I mean, the injury, I mean, even like going back to the tape like his FIBA tape, you saw how explosive he was through contact and being able to finish off both feet through contact. And that, that really wasn't there at UNC, so yeah i I mean just having that space where he doesn't have to strain to to get space to explode hopefully once he can get healthy is going to be important
0: yeah i think the thing that was harmed at unc was definitely maneuvering on the interior like i i mean i think one of the one of the problems that he kind of like brought on himself was that if i remember correctly in 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 lower levels like he was a pretty uh two foot dominant leaper like he he really like would like to get like to load up and get off of two feet. Um, and obviously just in more trafficked uh, you, you know, paint in, in college, that wasn't as possible. But I mean, he was really good, like maneuvering around the paint with with like hop steps and, and step throughs. And like, I just, he didn't have the space to do that at UNC. And I think that he probably will have more space to do that in the NBA. But like physical limitations that I think are real that we didn't see in um in in lower levels exist too and I think they compound in a way that are really problematic for him like like I think that like I don't think his burst was ever good like I I, even coming into the year I didn't think his burst was good but it it didn't seem that bad so like I, I was I went back and watched a couple games uh like within the last month of of AAU and like he had enough first step and enough acceleration to like get one step on a guy. And then once he had one step on a guy, he was stronger than everyone else and he could create leverage. And these things all compounded to create these advantages that he couldn't create against college athletes. And I don't think he'll be able to in the NBA. So I think that like being more physically developed at that level definitely helped him a lot too, in a way that's never going to be replicated because he's just, it no longer has those physical advantages. So I think it's definitely a mix of his AAU performance was reliant on on physical advantages that he no longer has and that the situation was bad. Um, and I don't, I don't know how you guys feel about that, but I mean, beyond that, even PD, like how do you feel about Cole just as a, as a decision maker and, and like a, a, just a guy who is going to be making plays for your team independent of the, the physical limitations. I mean, you can also touch on the physical limitations if you want.
2: I think that um, being, an overwhelming athlete at younger levels can be poisoning to decision-making process. Um, I felt a lot of times at North Carolina, um, the passing windows and the, the physic, like what he could see as a somewhat smaller guard, he was used to having, you know, a half step on people. And when that was a quarter step or no step, he couldn't make the same passing reads both on timing and on vision. And that's been my long-term concern with Cole is that people will, were eventually going to catch up with him physically and how he was going to Intellectualize as a passer and the year the most damaging thing about north carolina to me was that i didn't see that step as the physical component faded um the other big thing for me with cole is that he has some of the worst landing mechanics on when he comes down from dunks and layups that you'll probably see around um it's extremely reminiscent of young westbrook and young derrick rose um there's a lot of like knee locked landings um and that's most likely what causes meniscus injury in North Carolina. And uh, I would really want him to change how he lands, especially through contact um, in his first year or two in the league.
0: Yeah. I mean, without going like too in depth on a tangent, how do you go about generally evaluating the projection of guys who are physically dominant at lower levels? Because I mean, like, obviously for some guys, they're going to be physically dominant at all levels. Um, like, I mean, Zion Williamson is is someone who, like, if you discounted his physical dominance at lower levels, you would have gotten the projection wildly wrong. But so, like, how how do you go about evaluating that? PD, do we lose you? Sorry, I uh,
2: talked through mute. Ah, so it's difficult, obviously. Because you can't really get a percentile on how much of dominance there is. Ideally, you want to see it through multiple viewings in multiple settings. Um, So, you could, in some of the other settings with Cole, you could see moments where when he was flustered by a higher level athlete, the passes weren't there and he would go into like the attack mode thing that was seen um, with UIBL, where it felt like there were games where he would only pass and games where he would only shoot. And there was never really an explanation for like where that balance was going to come from and whether it was just people saying, Cole, you need to pass. Cole, like we need 40 tonight. Um, so a consistency in their reads and a consistency in their read counters would be the thing that I look for most in physically dominant people. Gotcha.
0: Um, should we move on we to um, Onyeka Okon-woo? Uh,
1: Sure. So, so Onyeka came into the year as someone who wasn't... Who was like in first round discussions, probably at at like the maximum by people who were high on him. I mean, in draft Twitter, in the mainstream, um, like late twenties. or I think early, I think to, to I shout mean,
0: out friend of the program Ross. Ross I think Ross yes. had Anyeka o- like top ten.
1: Did he? I thought he had him a little lower than that. But I know I, Ross he had, was him, the high he had in, him very on him. high. He had yeah, him I know Ross high. was definitely high on him, and boy was he right. Because like like within a game, or I think his first game was like a thirty point game maybe a second game and Onyeka very quickly um, ascended upwards into the top of the mainstream, top of the draft boards in the mainstream. And now he's projected in about the top five range. And like, again, like we think that that is definitely, I mean, a good thing for him Um, as a team, like, like a team needs, especially defensively, a team hopefully is going to like give Onyeka the leash to defend. Like we've talked about in multiple pick and roll contexts, allow him to kind of do everything on defense and be versatile um, in, in terms of offensive and defensive scheme, and then offensively, give him the least to play as a role man, yes, but also to do some of the face-up scoring that he's really good at. So I mean, I mean, rather than just being relegated to like a bench, a bench less less involved role. But I mean, I mean, like we're all pretty confident that Onyeka is going to be a good NBA player, whether or not he really has the ceiling to justify a top five or so pick. I mean, he's going to be a good NBA player, but his stock is definitely beneficial I think, for him to, to to reach that that seal
0: yeah like i think onyeka is going to return top 10 value in the class but just by by reaching this level in the draft like if you're taking him in the top five you'd kind of think that that he will factor into to a team's offensive planning uh in a way that w- that could enable him to return maybe even top five value because if you're just drafting onyeka kongwu like 20th you're probably not like giving him face-up possessions and really trying to develop that portion of his game, but if if you're spending a top five pick on him, I think that's a lot more likely, and that's how you really get into unlocking those outcomes where where Onyeka's returning not just high value,
2: but but like best in the draft value. I think that um, the term the modern MBA is an interesting one for Onyeka because Onyeka is more valuable in the NBA that's going to happen in probably two years than the one that happens today um, as teams start to move up the floor in pick and roll coverages more um, to guard people like Trey Young, Onyeka becomes more valuable. So if you are forecasting um, an NBA where you know pull up threes out of high pick and roll is a, a shot that happens all the time, like you should probably have Onyeka top five. Um, and the offense, which is on a positive developmental trajectory from, you know, his freshman year till now, it's absolutely wild. Um, his freshman year of high school, to, uh, to be more clear. Um, you can see the outline of a archetype that, you know, BAM exhibits. They're not the same player, but it's the same idea of, you know, they get easy stuff with lobs. They bring high energy. And you can teach them to read short rolls along with providing defensive versatility. And that's a, an extremely valuable player archetype.
0: Yep. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to... We're going to talk a little bit more about Onyeka later to, to tease um, another segment. But uh, I feel like... like uh, I don't know. It's, it's fairly simple with him where I, I, like being this high in the class... He'll be he'll have access to you know touches that aren't uh, normally available to a big man, um, Ben. Unless you have anything to add, should we move on to Tyrese Maxey?
1: Yeah, let's move on to Tyrese Maxey, who has had his stock drop quite a bit after a disappointing statistical year at Kentucky. Seems to be hovering in like the late Lotto ish range, kind of. I mean, basically every board or mainstream mock you'll see has him in that range, and that's really really good for his stock. I mean, similar to Cole for different reasons. He's a guy who's going to benefit a lot from playing next to, like, ideally a big wing initiator. Because I mean, one of the, I mean, if if Maxi is someone who goes in the top five or the top six or really early, a team, a a lot of teams are likely going to thrust him into lots of pick and roll situations and lots of that sort of creation. Which Tyrese Maxi, even acknowledging that he was a better playmaker before Kentucky and has more passing than he showed in college, is has never been a strong pick and roll playmaker. So that's just not a thing that he'd be confident in doing. But what Maxi is going to be going to be excellent at is attacking off the catch, getting to the rim, uh, things like that, because he is so bursty and so explosive. And he got to the rim at such a high rate at college. He finished pretty well. I mean, he was like around about 65 percent, less than 20 percent assisted at the rim. Um, and he I, I mean, with, with his level of burst and and touch and an incredible body control, he's going to be someone that playing in an off ball role is able to really, really pressure the rim when he's not forced to maneuver and maneuver throughout pick and rolls in a way that maybe he's not able to. And then regarding the shot, just, I mean, there is fixing to do, but I mean, with, with all of his positive indicators his three point attempt rate is, I mean, 83% from the line, 46 long twos made. It seems like playing, playing in like a less strenuous on ball role will help that development too. So going later and hopefully playing in a, a less, a less creation usage, Role is going to be really good for Tyrese Maxey.
0: Yeah, I can just envision whenever the draft eventually happens, uh, and there's the TV coverage with people who don't—I don't know—know don't uh, know what they're talking about necessarily. <laughs> they're going to talk about Tyrese Maxey shooting 29.2% from three uh, at Kentucky, being totally uh, ignorant to the fact that he was like a ridiculously good shooter um, in EYBL uh, from three from the line on huge volume. Um, so I guess like PD, what do you think the, the odds are that Tyrese Maxey steps into, to an off ball role on day one in the NBA? And he's just like a totally acceptable shooter. Uh,
2: I have the, I think that's my most confident bet in this class. Um, I don't know how rational it is. Um, in terms of, like, it's just one of those things I've always believed, that that whenever Tyrese Maxey shoots, like, it looks good to me. Yeah, there's the low release point. Um, Yeah, there's, like, a little bit of hitch at the bottom. But I'm seeing all the EYBL numbers, which, like, it's on, like, six, six and a half attempts a game. And he's still shot almost 37% on, like, pretty difficult selection. Like, Maxey has never been, um, like, a Josh Green where, like, he only takes good shots. Like, Maxey will take uh, some shit. And he's a good shooter with that shot selection
0: um, and it's not it's not like he was hugging the line either like he was taking yeah, deep he, attempts
1: I mean he he has serious range I mean off off the bounce off of movement as well so yeah, these these are a high high degree of difficulty attempts that he's taking
2: um, the floaters are um, awesome we talked last time uh, I was on the pod about like you know like floaters don't really matter without high volume attempts like Maxi is the definition of high volume floater attempts, and when you add that together with being a eighty, like four percent or free throw shooter across uh, high school, EYBL, and Kentucky, like you have the outline of somebody who you can either take the accumulation of, you know, a lot of signal, or you can take the twenty nine point two percent at Kentucky with you know bad spacing, uh, some weird lineup theory, and a role that floated in and out between, you know, the guy and a guy. Um, my concerns are the passing vision. Um, he was a low turnover, um, not a high assist, but, a, a, you know, four assists, like one turnover a game in EYBL. Um, so I think that he's going to be a, like, a quiet playmaker, but I've n- never seen him as somebody who's going to, like, see around the corner or, you know, see three reads at the same time. But to plug him in, you know, when a, against a tilted defense, as somebody I believe will be a plus shooter with a plus floater, uh, finishing instincts, and like a good upper body, especially like his wide shoulders, that's somebody that seems to have a better fit in the pros than pretty much anything you could find in college.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the the low turnover numbers along with the assist uh numbers because he yeah like going back to the aau stuff he's definitely like was a sort of playmaker that i don't like who i think gets overrated because they don't turn the ball over when in reality it's just they're they're caretakers they're not taking enough risks like you you want to be turning the ball over a certain amount because that means you're you're doing things that are difficult. Like you're, you're attempting things that are high value ads and sometimes you're failing because no one's perfect. Uh, and that's like very much, you know, that was Maxie's problem. Like I think he, he was, he was definitely like a caretaker to the extreme. Uh, but I think that's fine for a guy who, who is more of like an off ball scorer with some minor on ball utility. But yeah, I mean, I just think that, that he's a guy who, who, like, I think there are some mechanical flaws with his jumper. We've talked definitely about the low release point, the kind of low trajectory, um, the front rim misses. Like, I think that there, there are definitely issues there, but and I don't think he'll ever be like a marksman, but as just a guy who's going to be a good enough shooter to really like enable him in his role to be a really like, I think a, an, another guy, like kind of like a Coro who's a really impressive slasher and finisher, um. I think that that like he's he's just a guy who who has the skills necessary to slide into that role, and now will be enabled to do it um, without you know expectations that are unreasonable for him as a playmaker.
1: And I think um, just just quickly adding to your point about low turnovers, I think uh, definitely not not turning the ball over is a thing that gets overrated. But like you kind of like you kind of alluded to for Maxi's role, not get like. In this situation, he ideally isn't going to be carrying a heavy on-ball creation load, and then I mean, as that creation load goes down, the the value of just not messing up does increase. When you're not the one asked to make high-leverage plays, the ability to just not make terrible decisions and and not throw the ball away is is really important. And Max is going to do that. I mean, I mean because. I, Aside from just being really explosive and a great slacker, te- like physically and technically, he's really decisive. I mean, he really like plods, plods around, but like weights, he, he he always drives and acts quickly. And that's definitely going to be a, just another plus for him in an off ball, potentially attacking off the catch, working off of movement kind of role.
2: Yeah. And I think one of the benefits of, you know, um, the jumbo wing is that it bends the floor so much. And even without direct penetration, um, you know, defenses have to send over extra help. They have to shade. They'll have to dig a little more. And if Maxi's problem is that he can't bend a flat defense, there are a lot of circumstances where a defense will already be bent. And he, as a person who makes decisive reads, um, decisive reads and doesn't make mistakes like that becomes an extremely valuable if you're looking for a play finisher against a a bent defense who can also shoot like this just to me people i think overthink maxi and are shaded by the primary idea but when you think of it as like if Maxi is a second side creator that's such a wonderful self-contained role for
1: him yeah and Maxi really doesn't have to be a primary in this class to return top five ish kind of value i mean if he's a really potent secondary creator i think that's pretty easily going to end up as or or could pretty easily end up as top five value in this class
0: yeah i mean that's definitely my theory behind having maxi in in the top five is just like that like it's it's pretty conceivable that he's just really good at everything for that secondary creator role and is is um you know is is, is just really good in, in that role um, I think the other thing that PD is kind of getting at is that basically all of these combo guards who are now slated to go in the in the late lottery should be lobbying their agents to find a way to Boston and play alongside Jason Tatum for the next ten years, or New Orleans. That works too. That getting works to too.
1: Zion. Yeah, just one of those two teams. I mean, I mean, like we said, just having one of those jumbo wings is just so transformative. For these limited smaller guard types, of which there are plenty in in this class. So
0: yeah, let's move on to um to now a guard that was thrust into a very difficult, heavy on ball role in college in um Nico Mannion. So uh Petey, you recently binged I think a bunch of Arizona. You want to give um the case for why Nico's stock like really plummeting uh it is you know positive
2: for his his development. Um I mean just take all the stuff about Maxi but like tone it down. Um <laughs> like he's not I mean, to me, Nico has always been taking, like, sort of the worst elements of Maxi and the worst elements of Cole and putting them into one. Like, <laughs> one. I've never really bought into it at all, period, and thought that a lot of his bump was because he moved back into his original high school class, that people viewed him as, like, this super young prospect, which he's not. Um, you know, I don't really think that he can produce a ton of top. 10 value. I think that his best circumstances for a team that needs uh, a replacement plus level guard um, to fit in next to a jumbo and uh, knock down shots when he needs to and attack the rim a little bit. I mean, Nico doesn't finish over or around. Um, The reason why his stock tanked is that he picked a school that didn't have great spacing and he has no ability to create something out of nothing and when teams were able to sit on his uh his shooting or force him just to create it did not go particularly well
0: yeah I think that the the thing that differentiates him from Cole and Maxi is that he is like he genuinely adds value as an off-ball player like he's one of the better off-ball players in the class just as a really smart relocator um a guy who like after the pass his his relocation is so good I mean like not to like invoke Steph Curry lightly, but like for, for college guards, I guess it's like he's baby Curry in his after pass relocation. He's a very good Ben is, Ben is shaking his head dismissively. Nico Mannion is a very good after pass relocator, but I just think that that playing off the ball, um, something that we saw, like his usage in, in high school was like very, very weird. Like he would initiate out of the post and yeah. like run off the ball a lot. It was very unusual. Um, and we didn't really see that as much as at Arizona where he was, uh, so heavily on the ball, but just as a guy who's now falling into like the mid mid to even late first. Um, I just think that he has an off ball game that is a genuine plus to the point where we'll actually get to see more of that now. Um, and I think that's, that's good for him and for, for whatever team selected.
2: What level yeah, of shooter do you
0: think he is? That's a good question. Um, I think he's a good shooter. I think that's, that's the, the, how good he is is probably the major determinant of, of, um, you know, how good he is and what level of value he returns. I think if he ends up being like a plus plus shooter, he's probably like an okay starter uh, and it's pretty valuable if he's only like a solid shooter, which is I think kind of what, what you would think from his college season, then he's like a third guard. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that that the level, like how good he is as a shooter, I think is, is like the
2: determinant of where he ends up. I would take it a small step further and say that what level of off the dribble shooter he is. Yeah. Because, yeah. uh, a a three-point specialist who's point guard size and doesn't bring a great deal of other value in other areas. is uh, quickly. Yeah, like that's not a person that yeah. I would feel comfortable spending uh, first-round currency on. Yeah. Um, so at that point now you're asking, okay, so here's a person who isn't particularly good at uh, initiating offense, who's best on a relocation. Like the only way for them to produce real value is off the dribble shooting, which they might not be able to do because they're not an initiator of their own right. Like it's a very jumbled for me to get to the point where it's like, I feel comfortable taking Nico in the top, you know, 20 picks.
0: Yeah, I mean I I in the past have liked him more as an off the dribble shooter. Like I, I liked that he could that he could rise so quickly that he could rise over people. Um I like I I I think I probably liked him too much as a pull-up shooter. But yeah, I mean right now with with the college sample in mind it's hard to think too highly of him as a pull-up shooter i mean yeah it's it's a difficult proposition i think the uh, nico checks in for me at a point where i think the draft just gets really bad um in that like late teens range um and so like uh, i think that's that's the sell is that i i like him a lot as an off-ball player and if the pull-up ends up being a little bit better than you'd think then he'll be pretty valuable but I think that it's also just a function, yeah, of just like hitting hitting a weird part of this draft where it's not very good.
1: Yeah, and I'd be interested to see how he kind of functions in like let, let, let's say he does get to the point where he's like a third guard on a really good team next to a jumbo. I mean, how how that shooting and you know, how that off ball relocation like actually manifests in the value? Because I mean, I mean, I mean, like like Max talked about earlier, he's he's never really had a role that suits him from like. The, the heavy on-ball creation in Arizona to some of the weird stuff he did pre-college. I mean, he's never been, like, a specialized off-ball player. So, I mean, if, if a team really commits to using him that way, um, good for them, and, like, they might really get to get some value out of that. But, I mean, I don't know. I, it seems dubious to me that that's really going to happen.
0: Should we advance to um, now to PD's guy, Jaden McDaniels?
1: Yes, let's On do I'm all for it.
0: Yeah, so I mean, last time PD was on, I feel like we we made the case for for why Jaden's stock falling is good for him developmentally. But um, I don't know, PD, do you want to, you want to do another a brief overview of of why Jaden falling from the kind of ridiculous uh, like suggesting that he's in contention for the the top
2: pick to a sort of late first? I mean, I think that there was always a talent element that was still there. And the distance between flashes just grew larger um, as the competition level raised um, his length, not being ideal uh, definitely played a factor in him sliding down, you know, 20 or spots as long as well as uh, the inconsistency and the uh, college context, which is admittedly not great um, for this draft and for the late 20s, I think that the late 20s and you know early 30s, as many serious bets on upside should be made. And Jim McDaniel is a a big a 6'9", 6'10 guy who can shoot, who has good stocks numbers and has a really good wiggle is um, about as interesting of a combination as you're going to get uh, at, you know, 24 to 35. Yeah, I, I mean, I... I... I agree with that pretty
0: strongly, yeah. and it's why I think that uh, like Draft Twitter is definitely too caught up in Jaden making horrific decisions and having a really bad body and being a really really poor athlete um, from from an explosion standpoint. But I mean, yeah, he's a guy who has who has instincts as a as a weak side uh, rim protector who I think will probably shoot spot ups just fine. Who has definite utility attacking off the catch. I mean, he can really like he can cover ground pretty quickly with his with his strides. Um, so yeah, just get him, get him in a situation where you throw him in the G league and he gets reps to, you know, to see different, um, defenses and, and to just, you know, develop as a decision maker. And, and you could wind up with a, a sort of three plus rim protection archetype. That's very, very valuable.
1: Uh, Should we move on to our last beneficiary?
0: Yeah, let's do it.
1: All right, so our last guy who we have benefiting from the stock is Kyra Lewis, who currently is around like mid, like mid late teens to mid twenties. It's kind of a wide range, and as we kind of talked about before, Kyra Lewis has his limitations as an on ball creator with his lack of real pick and roll craft, um, not not the greatest handle, and some pull up questions, but attacking off the catch, he's really impossible to stay in front of and there are a lot of teams in his range that have I mean like we've belabored to, to death already to have these jumbo initiators who can bend a flat defense and create those advantages and Kyra Lewis' is, is more than capable of of attacking even a very slightly bent defense and making a layup or any shot for a teammate. I mean just looking him I mean looking in the range of there's I mean teams like Milwaukee, LA, Miami, toronto i mean all teams that have guys that can really create advantages that kyra can play off of and i mean as opposed to i mean there are plenty of people on on, on draft twitter who have him like even in like top five ish kind of range which i have backed off of at the moment I, but i think he's like a solid like late lottery type of prospects where he's gonna go a decent bit lower than that and like that's definitely going to benefit him as someone who's not ready to play heavy on ball minutes um creating and pick and roll situations where he's going to be allowed to attack off the ball and, and get easy baskets and create easy baskets for, for, for his teammates. Because I mean, just, just being able to get downhill and have op- more open windows is going to negate his lack of so- someone negate his, his lack of vision and, and decision-making. Cause I mean, like we talked about, he's a really technically great passer with, with a live dribble stuff and the quick trigger. So it's just, j- just playing in a situation where he's, just not given a heavy creation load is, is, is going to benefit him sort of
0: related to that idea, uh, like a bit more, i mean, not too general, but related to that idea is that um, I, I have a lot of skepticism of Kyra as an isolation scorer. Um, he, this year was a, was 36th percentile isolation efficiency. Um, and I think that like his problems are rooted in, I mean, he's got some weird tendencies. Like he really likes to like pull the ball back out and um and try to like build up ahead of steam and go at guys his his pull-up as an isn't at the level yet that um that it needs to be but of course we've we've expressed some optimism especially with the the touch skill of of the way that he transitions from uh dribbling to passing um but i think that his handle is not bad his handle is good for some things but bad. I don't really love
1: it. If we're being it, honest. it's good.
0: It's good for for like enabling his speed because it's very yeah. controlled and it's tight and like like and it it doesn't hold his speed back, which is very important. But it is like entirely devoid of deception. Like like we talk. Like Jaden is a guy who has some wiggle. Like Kyra has no wiggle. He can't deceive guys with his triple. So when guys do sag off of him a bit in isolation and the pull up is not at the level yet where he's just going to launch he can't really create separation off the dribble in isolation and not even just like against like size defenders, like even against a switch, like he'll have trouble in college. Um, so I think that, yeah, if he were a guy that were, were, was going like where draft, like some draft or people want him to go in the top five and he was expected to like do a you know, fair amount of isolation creation, just like out of nothing. I think that he would have a ton of trouble with that. But as a guy who, who will be playing second units, playing at a pick and roll, like pushing the pace? You're um, not relied upon to be a team's primary offensive creator. Uh, I think that is good for him because I don't think he's he's not as multifaceted of an initiator as as you know you want from a guy going that high. Um, I think that that he just like has a little more specialized usage.
1: Yeah, I mean his handle is for me just as worrisome as isolation in in the pick and roll i mean he really has no like deception or like he i mean he doesn't re-screen often he never snakes i mean he just isn't i mean whether it's handle or just the the, the technical ability he just doesn't do these kind of advanced pick and roll things where where he really relies on his speed rejecting screens or turn in the corner to to get buck to, to score and create advantage as, create advantages out of pick and roll. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, handle holds him back in like a lot of ways. In my opinion. Yeah.
2: Um, it's an interesting thing because people's mileages tend to really vary on how they interpret Nate Oats's scheme. Um, there's, it's pretty public knowledge that like power wasn't allowed to take floaters, like, like to take mid ranges of really any kind, even when they were really available and being a, uh, a fast but skinny guy, limiting uh, pathways to creation makes for a pretty difficult setup. Um, I think that five is probably a little bit high for me. Um, When we get into the teens with this draft, you got to gamble on uh, an intersection of uh, unique traits and valuable skills and putting pressure on a defense in the first two seconds of a shot clock with two dribbles uh, on a defensive rebound is something I find really interesting. the thing that I worry about a little bit with uh, the idea of having uh, him really high is how much of this is like an aesthetic comparison to how Jaw has been successful. Like I feel like a lot of it is sort of seeing this skinnier point guard. Um, obviously, there's not um, a one-to-one similarity, but just seeing the, sort of the ways that he's been used and the the extreme development that Jaw had from you know his last game at Oregon to you know, at the end of the season. And I think that that might be a little bit too much of an expectation of growth from even somebody who has the youth of Kira.
1: Yeah. <laughs> definitely important to note that Jot ja was, and is a very good finisher. I mean, he shot half the shots at the rim this year and he shot 58 percent. or, of the rim this year which is really good for a a skinny rookie of his size and and Kyra was a noted bad finisher in college and is probably even worse built than jaw I'd say I mean it's they're similar but I I, I'd give the edge to jaw in terms of frame I mean just someone who like when he gets to the rim is gonna have trouble making like creating actual value there with his finishes so
0: I don't think I've seen jaw comparisons much like I I think that that it's true that like that might be in the background of this. I mean, the sort of idea that like whatever is in vogue will be, um, you know, coveted in prospects. But what I've seen in terms of direct comparisons a lot is De'Aaron Fox, another like skinny speed God who, um, you know, wasn't because I, I think one of the differentiators with ja, of course is that like he's a brilliant passer um, and Kyra most certainly is not. But, people are more inclined to make the Fox comparison, but another guy who was a dominant finisher. I mean, he was a 75th percentile half court around the rim. Uh, he was a runner. God yeah. 89th percentile yeah. on Fox runners.
1: shot above 60% at the rim in all three of his NBA seasons.
0: Yeah. And I mean, Kyra just not that he's not a good finisher. He can't really jump. Like he has some, some craft around the rim, but I mean, it's not particularly effective. I don't think, um, so, I just think that you know these comparisons to guys where you're just taking out that one element of the the nuclear speed uh, forgets a lot of the things that a lot of the skills that that compound with that to make them actually effective players.
2: The one thing that I will say um, in Kyra's favorite that I that has jumped out to me watching him is that he gets a lot better um, as the season goes on mm-hmm. in both yeah. seasons and even in competitions, like when watching USA. Uh, U19, which is a team that uh, had some issues with how it was managed, to, be, to put it lightly. Um, I felt like he kept un- he understood what was being given to him, um, as a creator and made the right read. Um, I felt like he made uh, an impact on his one hand passing, um, especially with hook passes in the second half of the SEC season. Um, so I think that would be something to keep an eye on for him is that I think he's going to struggle early in his rookie year um, like pretty bad, just unless he goes to like a Miami, which could, you know, has a track record of transforming bodies pretty quickly. Um, and just seeing how he adapts as a person thinking the game as a creator um, is something that I'm very excited to see in the second half of his rookie year.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's, he's inarguably a very positive
1: development arc guy this is Ben from post-production again we went long as we typically do uh, this was the longest recording we've ever had I think so once again we're splitting this into two two parts uh, on Wednesday we'll have the part out where we talk about prospects whose stock in the mainstream has hurt them and their projections so stay tuned for that episode as always please go follow PD on Twitter at above the break three he does really awesome work follow the pod at prep number two pro pod. Follow me at Ben underscore Pfeiffer underscore. Follow Max at Max A. Carlin. And make sure to keep leaving five-star reviews, subscribing. All that stuff has been super helpful and really appreciative of that. So with that, we will see you in a couple days.